This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. In a previous show, one of our first to be exact, Marcus and I talked about the opening of the Smithsonian Museums of African-American History and Culture. We hosted that show in 2016. The opening of that museum provided us with an opportunity to talk about African-American history in general. Given that this is the month when the nation places a special emphasis and focus on the history of African-Americans, Marcus and I thought we'd use this occasion to revisit the topic of Black History and Black History Month. We're really glad to have you all join us again for this kind of, I guess, Marcus, you would call it another special show uh, dealing with the history of African-Americans in this month that we now call Black History Month. Um, You know, we're right in the middle of it. I saw, I think, Governor Cooper, uh, his uh, proclamation for Black History Month a few uh, few days ago. And it struck me that in there he was emphasizing in his proclamation this year um, the the contributions that African-Americans have made to the STEM STEM subjects. And one person who was named in the proclamation was Dr. Christine Darden, who you know, Uh, you and I had the opportunity to interview on the show. Yeah, Yeah. this is is an interesting point. And I think, you know, as I'm reminded of of Dr. Darden, uh, I, you know, I, she, she to me is, is an example of the complexity of African-American history. I think that there is a tendency to remember the African-American story uh, solely or strictly in terms of slavery, um, suffering, struggle, injustice, oppression, so on and so forth. Um, and certainly that is one part of the Black freedom struggle story. Mm-hmm. But as Dr. Darden's story um, illustrates, um, there's also another side of that story, which has to do with um, concrete accomplishments, achievements, gains, mm-hmm. creative strides that African-Americans were able to make, um, especially after the Civil War. Right. And I, that that is important, I think, to to hold both. Um, both halves of the African-American story together and put them in conversation, especially, um, especially, you know, during the month where we're supposed to uh, (laughs) focus uh, more so than we do um, during the rest of the year on African-American history. But that, but that's a different conversation. It it really is. And maybe we'll get into it in the, (laughs) in, in the course of this show. But, you know, as you talk about Dr. Darden, I remember that was a fun show to do with her. And it was one of our earliest shows as well. And I think it was when we were doing the 30 minute shows and Mm -hmm. it was interesting to have her in the studio because we were able to actually host her in the studio at Blue Ridge Public Radio. And she was a little, you know, kind of, uh, uh, reticent to actually do the show. She said she was not, you know, good at radio, but then she ended up having a really good time. <laughs> and um, I really enjoyed that. And for those of you in the audience who, you know, listening to us right now, if you've been following the show for since its inception, you know who we're talking about when we mention the name Christine Darden, uh, Dr. Christine Darden, native of North Carolina, 
has a connection to Asheville, North Carolina. And I have to emphasize that, brother, since you are out there in Asheville, uh, although yeah. I'm down here in the state capitol now, but this is this show, the home base for the Waters and Harvey show is in Asheville at Blue Ridge Public Radio. And Dr. Darden had a connection to Asheville um, because she graduated uh, from high school at, um, I think, the Allen, Allen, which was an all-girls black private school, which also was the home school, the high school of uh, Nina Simone, someone who mm-hmm. also talked about. But I just remember Dr. Darden being a little reticent, but then having a really good time. But for those of you who don't recognize that name, Dr. Darden, I think, had the longest career. She was one of the human computers at NASA, and she had one of the longest careers of those hidden figures. Um, She's not one of the characters that's in the movie, but she is a prominent figure in the book itself on the hidden figures. And she had a remarkable career there at at NASA and made a significant contribution to to, to NASA and to the space program. Yeah, absolutely. And I I must confess that, um, you know, when I learned that we were going to be interviewing Dr. Darden, and as as we were actually talking to her on the show, I found myself growing increasingly envious <laughs> for two reasons. One, um, she clearly is a mathematical genius and math is has something that I have been, uh, that has been sort of my nemesis for most of my educational career. Uh, and two, as someone who's kind of a uh, an amateur space nerd, I've always been fascinated by the work that NASA does and by the, uh, just the scope of space exploration and the implications of that. And um, the the possible um, discoveries and so uh, I was just fascinated and also also envious as as we sat and talked with her and about her experience and also about the pivotal role that she played in furthering mm-hmm. America's um, space program um, in the latter half of the 20th century. So, right, right. So, that, so, so that for me was a very memorable conversation. Right. So Marcus and I would encourage you all who are listening to us now to go back through those podcasts and that list of shows, <laughs> go to Blue Ridge Public Radio's yeah. website and you can find the show with Dr. Darden. I'm sure you'll be very entertained and engaged with that conversation that we had with her. Well, Marcus, we think about uh, this year, 2022 and Black History Month this year, every year, um, Black History Month is themed. There is a theme for Black History Month. And I guess it is, well, not guess, it is fitting that this year, the theme for Black History Month is health, Black health and wellness. And so given the fact that we're coming through a pandemic, a major pandemic now, you can see how this would be a major theme and emphasis that they would place for uh, Black History Month this year. And so, um, you know, it made me recall another show that we did um, not too long ago with with Dr. Rochelle Brandon. And remember, who is down in Charlotte, who presented at one year, I think two two years ago at the African-Americans in Western North Carolina Conference, which we've hosted at UNC Asheville for the past eight years. And she was one of the speakers to talk about issues around COVID and COVID's impact on communities of color. So as Marcus and I think about, you know, still being in this pandemic, and I know like everybody, we're kind of ready to be out of this and get back to some sense of normalcy. You know, Marcus and I, again, want to hope that all of you out there who are listening to us are well, you're staying healthy and you're staying safe. But Marcus, before we jump in and talk in deeply about Black History Month, and maybe this theme this year, we want to uh, introduce you to a person who's joining us for this conversation now. Now, you and I are pretty excited about doing this particular show because this is someone that both you and I know very well. In fact, you know, 
the, our listeners, I think they appreciate hearing me call you brother all the time. Well, this is another one of our brothers, and we're happy to have with us Mr. Jonathan Graves, who is joining us from his home in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Jonathan, just to give a little background, uh, is a graduate of North Carolina Central University. He is a native of New York. Maybe Jonathan will talk to us a little about a little bit about growing up in Tribeca and the Mount Vernon area of New York. It's interesting to hear him talk about that experiences. And if I can coax him, Marcus, I may get him to talk a little bit about his mother, you know, who had a major, major impact on Jonathan's thinking around a lot of things. But Jonathan's been thinking about this whole issue of Black history and what it means He's joining us today from Chapel Hill, as we noted. So, Jonathan, we want to welcome you into this conversation and thank you for joining us today, brother. Thank you, gentlemen. How are you doing, by the way? <laughs> no, I'm doing, doing OK. Well. Yeah, Marcus, how about you? You know, everybody's leading busy lives and I hope right. that you're doing well. Oh, good, 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 brothers. It is so good to see you. It's absolutely wonderful to see you both. It's good to see you, too. So, so Jonathan, we, we wanted to make this kind of a free-ranging conversation today around the issue of Black history and Black History Month. You and I, in conversations that you and I have had and that we've had with Marcus, we talk about, you know, where we are today, where we've been, you know, the contributions that African-Americans have made. We've talked about the larger American story. I was just in a conversation today, you know, Marcus, with a, a group of people thinking about, well, even last night, I had a conversation with a group of people who were thinking about this new museum that may be developed down in the Fayetteville area around the story of the Civil War. And one of the things I thought as I as I listened to that conversation, how we think about the American Civil War, is that it the story of the Civil War for me needs to be framed within the context of what the larger American tra uh, the trajectory of American history is, right? Who is it? You know, you and I were asking questions last year. Who are we and who do we hope to be? And I think, you know, Marcus, those questions for me emerge because I think about the commitment that the country said it made in 1776 to this idea that all men are created equal, endowed with certain unable rights. And we know what there's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So is this who we are? Is this who we hope to be? And so it's been a recurring question that you and I have been raising over the course of the shows that we did last year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think uh, one of the things that strikes me uh, about, about these questions is their uh, persistence. Right. They, they don't go away. We've been posing the, we've been posting these questions now for what, more than a year. <laughs> and in fact, you know, when we brought the show back uh, recently after <laughs> after going on a brief hiatus, uh, we added some additional questions to these original two questions. And I suspect that those additional questions will also be hauntingly uh, persistent. But, you know, I think that these questions are perhaps more pressing than they have been at any point in the soul's history, in part, and this kind of relates to the theme, right, of the mm -hmm. importance of Black health and wellness, but in part because of the stark, just the, the, the really um, impressively stark disparities that the pandemic has forced us to look at, right? As I've said on previous shows, it's not the case that uh, the pandemic disclosed something that no one knew about with respect to disparities in the areas of healthcare, mm -hmm. economics, education, so on and so forth. But um, I think what was unique about the pandemic at this particular moment in the, um, 
in the uh, in the country's history was that uh, it forced us to pause. The pandemic forced us to pause and really see those disparities, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it became really next to impossible, I think, at that point, two years ago, um, to ignore the right. existence of these disparities and the degree to which they have shaped and continue to shape to, and continue to shape um, the American experience. And so, uh, yeah, I think I think that these questions, in light of that, these questions are perhaps even all the more pressing now. All right. And, you know, so Jonathan, I'm thinking about you because one thing I didn't say in that introduction that we gave you just a few minutes ago was that Jonathan is an entrepreneur. This is someone who, and Jonathan, you have a unique, you have a unique perspective on business in general, but, you know, a unique historical perspective as Mm -hmm. well on, on the history of black business. And we can get into that in a few Mm -hmm. minutes. And, Mm -hmm. and so, Jonathan has been an entrepreneur in his community for you know, you've been here in North Carolina now for I it's guess going on close, yes going close on close to 30 to 30 years, years. Mm-hmm. and then you know you've also been active in your community correct we know that Durham Durham is an interesting place you know it's it's one of the places that we like to think in North Carolina which was kind of our black Wall Street absolutely right? I have I have talked to people who are from other states one one person who both you and I knew Mr to James A. Parker, who was a right. was a mentor to me, who was from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Parker, you know, much older than we were, you know, lived to be 80 years old. But he once told me, he said, look, you know, I'm growing up in Philadelphia. Everybody was paying attention to what was going into going on in Durham, North Carolina. That's correct. And so so you have a unique perspective of this community and absolutely. what black life is there. You want to share any of that? With I'd us? love to. I'd absolutely love to. Now, now I'm excited. Now I'm excited. So first off, let's just discuss. Um, we're talking about Black History Month. And I think one of the main issues that I think a lot of young people don't understand is what is Black History Month? Why do we celebrate Black History Month? And I know you and you and, and Marcus, I will, for, for, for purposes of this conversation, Dr. <laughs> Waters and Dr. Harvey, you discussed Black History Month and your goal is to teach. So I'm just going to remind your listeners that Black History Month was pioneered by Carter G. Woodson correct mm-hmm. um uh, in and about what uh, uh 1926 or so yeah. well it, one of the things that we have to remember is th- the question always comes up why do we celebrate black history month what's mm-hmm. the point well I, w- I i would as i understand it his vision was that we want to celebrate the achievements the goals and the history and culture of african americans or black people, if you will, in this country, because mm-hmm. before that it was not celebrated because we have a wealth of history, a wealth of history that was not celebrated or even acknowledged for that matter. Mm-hmm. OK, so so you, you bring up Durham and Durham is a fascinating place to talk about black history. Um, I was excited to come to Durham um, not initially, I will say that, because I'm a New Yorker, <laughs> tried and true, and um, I, what in the world am I going to do in the South? Now, that is the birthplace of oppression, as far as I was concerned, with limited information, right? My, my, all, both my parents are Southerners. Um, now, 
my mother being from Kentucky and my father being from Durham, North Carolina. Right. And and I have to just interject here real quick, Marcus. You know, we this is when we need to have Bill Turner, Dr. Bill Turner on the show. When Kentucky comes up, you know, <laughs> he wakes up. <laughs> he does. But go his, ahead, brother. I'm does sorry. His, does his ears do, do, do his ears perk up? <laughs> yeah, that it, does. it does. But mother oh. from Kentucky and okay. your father. Yeah. And, and father from Durham. So now I, I, I will let I will let Dr. Turner speak about Kentucky. So he and my <laughs> brother would have a conversation about that. Unfortunately, she's no longer with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither is my father, but I will take on the Durham part. Okay. Um, now, upon my arrival in Durham, we have to remember, this is the birthplace of some of the largest and most progressive businesses that were ever started in the United States. Uh, what comes to mind for me would be, now, I'm sure you all remember Merrick, and you, yes. we all know who Merrick is. Um, mm-hmm. Now, but I don't know if your listeners realize that his actual trade was he was a barber. And as and he was a barber in Durham, North Carolina, and one of the few barbers in this country to be able to have a chain of barbershops in Durham. Now, for me, that's inspiring coming from uh, New York, not knowing that, wow, they, you mean there's uh, back then there was somebody that had a chain of barbershops and was and, and they were fruitful. This we're not talking about a, a chain of barbershops that weren't doing well. These were fruitful. Well, Durham has that kind of history. He was a pioneer in the Haiti development community um, in Durham. Durham's history um, is absolutely remarkable. And I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they also had the reputation of being not just in Tulsa, but Durham had the reputation of being Black Wall Street. Right. It, right. Okay. So, um, and and it was for people like Merrick who also. <laughs> I don't know if people realize this was one of the pioneers and the founders of North Carolina Mutual Insurance Company. And um, this this speaks to the, the wealth of business in uh, Durham. And, and that's why I'm so excited to, to talk about Durham and what I know about it. And, right. and since I've been here for 30 years. But what I find even more fascinating when I arrived here in Durham, uh, guys, here's, here's the part that got me, brothers. And I don't know if you <laughs> run into similar uh, instances, but the natives from Durham that grew up here and were born here did not have knowledge of their own history here. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought that was interesting. Now, I, here I am, this Yankee coming to, to, mm-hmm. to the South, to Durham in particular, excited, and I'm ready to ask just anybody, hey, man, tell me about uh, Merrick, tell me about North Carolina. Tell me about mechanics and farmers bank. Tell me about all these businesses and things that were happening. But yet, I was normally met with, I don't know what you're talking you're about. Right. It's interesting, yeah. Jonathan, yeah. when you think about it. And uh, and brother, we'll come back to you in just a second. It's interesting when you think about it. You know, we we have a tendency to not appreciate what is in our own space, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's a thought for us to come back to. What we want to do is let you know that you're listening to the Watterson Harvest Show on Blue Ridge Public Radio. We'll be back after a short break. Thank you for joining us. (music) 
Again, welcome back to the Waters and Harvey show. We're talking about black history in this show. Uh, Marcus and I are talking with someone who is a dear brother to both of us, Mr. Jonathan Graves, who is joining us from Chapel Hill, who has been active in his community in Durham. But we're talking about black history in general. And Jonathan has kind of been walking us through kind of a business history, some of the rich business history in Durham, North Carolina, talking about John Merrick, which is a name that many of our listeners may not be familiar with, but we encourage you to go out and look up that name, to look up John Merrick, because he was, you know, principal founder of North Carolina Mutual Life Insurance Company, which was at one time one of the largest Black businesses in the world. So, Marcus, I noticed you had a question that you wanted to ask Jonathan, so let me let you you take over. Yeah, you know, I'm just wondering, Jonathan, as you, as, as I think about what you just said, you know, I think about, um, you know, some of the major black business centers of the first half of the 20th century, right? Tulsa, uh, Durham, other cities. And I, and, and, you know, I, I don't, maybe this is something that you can't answer, uh, um, you know, ex- exhaustively and that's okay. But I, my mind wonders, what was it? I mean, given, given how difficult it was <laughs> um, during reconstruction, moving into the early 20th century, um, given how difficult black mobility was, right? Um, socioeconomically, culturally, educationally, politically, right? right. We know that, that many African-Americans were able to achieve a modicum of mobility, but Absolutely. given how, di- how, how extraordinarily difficult it was, I wonder what was it about Durham? <laughs> what, what was it about Durham? What mm-hmm. was it about cities like Tulsa mm-hmm. that, um, that was- And even Atlanta. And even Atlanta, that was that seemed to be um, especially conducive to the development and progress of thriving black business districts, communities, or even individuals, right? Like 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 the like the brother you mentioned. What was it about about those about those cities? So if you have any thoughts about that, I'd be curious to hear. And the other point that I'll make, this is a more of a more of a, a point, not a question, um, and a speech, brother, to your point about um, your surprise at discovering that 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 black locals in Durham were unaware of this history, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And that that reminds me of someone you mentioned a few moments ago, Carter G. Woodson, and the goal of his, really of his, um, of his scholarly project, which I think, um, which I think is, is perhaps most encapsulated in his famous text, The Miseducation of the Negro, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And, and if you read, if you read, if you read um, Woodson's body of work, you discover that part of what Part of what he was trying to do was not only write the African the African American story into American history, right? He was literally trying to write our story into the American narrative because it didn't right. exist previously. Um, but he was also trying to write our story into the American story in a way that was accessible to the masses, even though this man was, you know, a Harvard-trained PhD, right? So I think. Part of what he wanted to do was was write a history that would be accessible to the very folks that he discovered in Durham, who were like, who? Right. <laughs> you know, uh, NC Mutual, what? <laughs> you know, so anyway, I'm just curious about the, to my to my question. What do you think? So you've been in Durham for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think it, it was or perhaps is about Durham? 
um, that that is specially conducive to black business or is Durham not special? Is it just that people it just so happened that people who were industrious landed there and built something significant? Well, I have a romantic relationship with Durham, so I, I, I'll leave that. But I'm going to put that aside for a moment. Okay. <laughs> but now I will say this: the old, the old statement. Uh, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So let's take let's take John Merrick for example. Why was North Carolina Mutual started? It, it was started because. Insurance companies in the United States would not insure African-Americans at one point. You mentioned Tulsa. Now, if, 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 the, if the insurance companies had to pay out for the loss of what happened in Tulsa, well, they would be bankrupt today. Okay. <laughs> now, let, let's just be honest. But they did not pay out. So what was that? That was a necessity. And, and you had a large group of, of black people in a, in a one particular area, and Durham was that area, that said, hey, nobody else is insuring us, let's do it for ourselves. And it was a mutual insurance company, mutual by, by what that means, it, it is owned by the people. Mm -hmm. So what so that was one of the reasons why you had businesses like that that were started, because in Durham, they saw, well, there's a need for it. No one else is taking care of us. We have a large group of us here. We better do something for ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, and I saw that early on as a young boy in the Jewish communities in New York. Now, and that, that's surprising to some of your listeners, but some of them will say, I get it. Mm -hmm. there, there was this old saying when I was growing up as a boy that a dollar is circulated in the Jewish community in New York and would not leave that community mm. for years. A dollar. Well, that same principle would happen in Durham. Black businesses were supporting black businesses. The, 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 the people of Durham were supporting those black businesses so they thrived. And those black businesses gave back to the people as well. So that, I think, was the difference in Durham as opposed to other places. Now, I guess we have to talk about segregation as, yep. a, as one of yep. the key yeah. factors of so why these does. businesses were successful. Yeah, because it makes me wonder, Jonathan, what, mm -hmm. you know, um, because that's the one thing that you look, it, it, you know, I, when I was in the classroom, I was always telling my students there's there are dichotomies in mm -hmm. life. They're just mm -hmm. there's always an upside and there's a downside. And, you know, and Marcus, you brought up Carter G. Woodson and were digging deep into his why he was committed to telling the African-American story. Right. And I. I think about the founding of the organization that he created, um, the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. And then that name has changed, but the association still exists. He creates this, this organization in 1916. But at the time, he's told that African-Americans are Black people have no history worth studying. This was the reason why it was so important, the reason why he created this Negro History Week, as it was originally called, and then it becomes Black History Month, which we now have with this major focus and this emphasis on it. Um, so it, it's interesting, Jonathan, you're bringing up this issue of how Black businesses and even other institutional entities are supporting each other in a period that at, we know is segregation, right? Right. So desegregation happens. 
What was the impact from your perspective of desegregation on these institutional structures? And how should we kind of look at that and assess that? Wow, that's a very good question. And well, of course, desegregation, uh, desegregation collapsed these businesses because the, let's be honest, the the uh, white businesses saw this dollar and wanted that dollar brought to their businesses. The best way to do that is to collapse the black businesses. A very, a very uh, good example of that is the Freedman Bank. Now, well, with the Freedman Bank, it was, it, it was uh, doling out money to, to African-Americans because actually the first real businesses were farmers, right? Mm-hmm. So, well, that's who the money went to. And these farmers took that money and started and opened up businesses and, and what have you. And um, when the Freedman Bank eventually went bankrupt, which I believe, and this is my opinion, I believe was by design. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's the reason why when they brought uh, Frederick Douglass in to try to salvage that bank it, to no avail, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it was already a collapse because, mm-hmm. of course, it was a white controlled bank because at mm-hmm. that time, African-Americans were not allowed to own banks. But again, again, which is why you had banks that was started by African-Americans in Durham, like like Mechanics and Farmers Bank and and so many others. But in any case, um, I digress from that. But in any case, when we look at that, I say, well, it was advantageous for white uh, businesses to get that money because the the dollar in the black community was that strong. Mm -hmm. By one way or the other, it, it was gonna happen. I mean, if they didn't do it willingly, well then, uh, then you might have a, a burning of a business, right. which happened in Tulsa. It happened in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, they didn't burn down businesses in Durham, but they certainly did choke them to death. So you but but even through that, what I find interesting is even through all that uh, that oppression, we still had more businesses created at that time than we even do now for African-Americans. And I think that's that is why we need Black History Month. You're right, right. Because it reminds us, it's almost like a business plan. And you guys know, I, I think in an in a, in a entrepreneur way, in a business mind, having that information was the catalyst for me to come to Durham, North Carolina and start my businesses. Mm-hmm. When I first started, my first business was Collegiate Transportation Services um, In when I was in college. I, I basically created a job for myself mm-hmm. and I since morphed that business into triangle transit mm-hmm. um, which uh, some people in Durham would will be surprised to know that that's where that name triangle transit came from that, that is the bus system mm-hmm. since before they changed it to data but um, which I was actually on the board uh, for a, a short period of time for the data board um, but in any sense that's where my desire to be in business came from knowing the history of Durham and and knowing the history of someone like a John Freeman and 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 so many others that that were here um my goodness Nathan Garrett a, a name that most people don't even know about um uh that was very um instrumental in starting some of the uh the business centers here and just a, a a host of people that I was introduced to that that um that were also sparked by the uh, endeavors of of people like John Merrick. So right, and it's interesting, Marcus. As I listen to to Jonathan, he's naming names you know that we don't generally hear, mm-hmm. and that's another reason why I think you know focusing on this history 
in some ways is important because we're used to hearing the big names all the time, right? And I think that they're important players, you know, people like W.E.B. Du Bois, Carter G. Woodson. I think it's important for us to talk about Woodson and the role that he played in giving us what is now the field of African-American history. But I love it that Jonathan has given us some of these names that you generally don't hear. Um, and I think that that's important because in every community across this country, there are people who were doing some remarkable things in their community. And I find that those stories are often hidden and those stories are not told. Bro. Yeah. So, and, I, and, you know, I, as I listen, as I listen, to Jonathan and listen to you two, um, Darren, you know, one of the things I wonder is um, why, why, why is it so difficult to and convince people to really focus on learning more about these hidden histories, right? Mm-hmm. Why is that? So, why does that prove to be such a Herculean task? Mm. And and I wonder if maybe part of it has to do with the fact that once you start doing that, and I'm going to go back to your point about the about desegregation, Jonathan, <laughs> and suddenly, suddenly. <laughs> desegregation might be cast in a different light right that, that isn't necessarily you know triumphant right or right. celebratory or you know because it's a you know it really you know through a through this kind of historical lens desegregation emerges as a multifaceted move right mm-hmm. so on the one hand um you know it was responsive to um pressure from from the growing civil rights movement, right? Right, right. On the other hand, and this is to your point, right? Speaking from a sort of Black entrepreneurial historical perspective, there was a a swift recognition on the part of the white business establishment that, wait, 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 this Black dollar is strong. (laughs) (laughs) How how, how do we get more of our hands on it? Oh, let's support desegregation. Right. Mm-hmm. And suddenly we're forced to think and talk about desegregation history differently in a right? very different not, way. Right. Not not that we throw away how it's discussed traditionally, but mm-hmm. we're now it, it is now cast in a different light. And mm-hmm. it, it both broadens and deepens our understanding of desegregation and its impact on the African-American story. And so anyway, that that question really haunts me, Jonathan. You know why? You know, the, the names that you're naming. Right. Mm-hmm. How do you convince, particularly, particularly folks in our community, right? How do you, to, and to use a term from economics, mm-hmm. which I use, I, I've used this term quite a bit with my students. How do you incentivize people? Because we we live we live in a society <laughs> that believes in incentivization. Right. That's I'm not doing true. anything unless you, unless you give me a reason to do it. <laughs> right. a, a, a tangible, a tangible. <laughs> I, I have to see some tangible benefit. Right. How do you incentivize? Um, right. and, and as an educator. You know, I, I freely admit I don't always know how to do that, right? In 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 a way that a business-minded person would would would. But I'm curious to hear from you, Jonathan, from a from a from a sort of entrepreneurial perspective. Um, is it is it is it possible to make um, an argument that focuses on on incentives, right? For why our community in particular, in places like Durham and elsewhere, should act should actively care more and be engaged more with these hidden histories or is that just a futile (laughs) undertaking and the best we can do is just kind of just keep teaching like what what brother what do you think yeah it's a serious question jonathan (laughs) this is a serious a very serious question so i'm going to give you a chance to to respond to it that is an extremely serious question uh and it's it's actually it's interesting you would bring that up marcus because um 
<laughs> it is a question that has also haunted me. Uh, you, you know, I, it, it, when you think about it now, I, I'm going to I'm going to expose myself for a moment. Um, when I first started uh, my, my business and I took it from the 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 the, the back rooms of my house and when I was living in Durham to an actual office, I had to do what many African-Americans had to do at that time and detach and separate myself from the the image of the business so the business itself interesting was not you did not know it was a black owned business as a matter of fact i remember having a meeting at that time with the black yellow pages i don't know you get all the black pages as they called it back then and um a wonderful young lady came to me and said she said uh scraves i want to um put you in this business you're doing very well but i want to put you in this uh book we want you to have and i i looked at her i said Honestly, I don't see how, to use your word, how that would make much of an incentive for me. But why, she's asking me. I said, because I don't think my community will support me enough to make a difference. So that, to, to see, so that touches on your question, Marcus and, and Darren. What can be done to incentivize? Uh, th that question is a serious question. And that's something that I, I don't, I think that's over my pay grade, to be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's a big question. I don't know the answer to it. You know, Marcus, it's been a yeah. question I think that you and I have had, if not on air when we're doing the shows, you and I have had this conversation privately because as educators, yeah. you and I yeah. both are a, a somewhat a purist when it comes to the educational process. We recognize that there's something just beautiful about being educated or continuing the process of learning for learning's sake. You know, you're not looking at, you know, yeah, we need to eat. We talk about that constantly. You know, right. we need to put food on the table. But at the same time, there's something enriching that we get from just learning in general. And I think, Marcus, you and I being in the academy, the debate that goes on between what is the benefit of the humanities or the liberal yeah. arts as yeah. opposed to the STEM subjects, you know, well, what what type of job are you going to do if you're majoring in some liberal arts, um, uh, getting a liberal arts degree? Don't you need to be over here on either science, mathematics, technology? That's where, you know, you're going to be able to feed yourself. But yeah. I think that there's so much creative on that other side. And we're hearing even from Jonathan, kind of the spirit of creativity. Right. And so that leads us up to just another break. And just to remind you, you're listening to The Waters and Harvey Show on Blue Ridge Public Radio. We'll be back after this short break. Just stay with us. Again, welcome back to the Waters and Harvey Show. I hope that you are enjoying this kind of rich conversation that Marcus and I are having with a dear, dear friend and brother, uh, Mr. Jonathan Graves, who's joining us from 
from Chapel Hill, but very close to Durham in Durham County in, uh, in here in North Carolina. He's been talking about his experiences as an entrepreneur. We've been talking about the importance of Black History Month. Why do we, we focus on this month? And before this show ends, I, I want to throw in somewhat of a controversial uh, uh, point. And Marcus, I, you know, you and I have talked about this, Jonathan, privately, you and I have talked about it. There are some now who are arguing that we don't need a Black History Month. You know, why don't we do away with one major hip hop artist whose name is T-Pain, who I got to be honest with you, I don't know this brother. I don't know his music, but I have heard about this comment. You know, I rely on my own sons to give me this information, but he has said, you know, we need to stop celebrating Black History Month. I think Kanye West, who I do know, has said the same thing. You know, it's it's divisive. Um, we now have a major candidate running for office in our, he's running for the Republican nomination up in Michigan, African-American brother who is arguing the same thing that if he's elected as the governor of Michigan, he will get rid of Black History Month. So we have this controversial thing, you know, should we continue this? Is it divisive? What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, mm, uh, <laughs> Mark, I have, I, have, I have, I have several thoughts. Um, but let me just, let me just, I guess, preface my remarks by saying that, by saying this, uh, there's an African, um, an African elder. He was a cross-cultural educator slash ambassador um, by the name of Mali Doma Somme. Any of the students who've had me will recognize mm -hmm. this name. He died recently. But um, in an interview that he gave um, many years ago, he made a point about Western society, which includes the United States, which I, which I think is, was, was just brilliantly insightful. And he said that as far as he could tell, as one who is engaged in a kind of cross-cultural um, educational career, um, Western societies have a relationship with their past, with their ancestors, that is fundamentally dysfunctional. It's fundamentally dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that dysfunctional relationship, he argues, um, is the source, right? It is the source of many of the ills that are faced um, in late modernity in the West, right? And so taking Somay's point seriously, um, I, I really do think that, um, that, that, the perspectives of, of individuals like T-Pain and Kanye West are, are, are wildly misguided. And, and let me just say this as well. Um, um, I, I don't really understand where, where this tendency of listening to non-experts, right, on issues of, you know, around Black history, um, the, the future of the Black community, so on and so forth, um, the Black political sphere, where this tendency comes from. But, you know, I find it, I find it quite curious because it, it, it doesn't seem to happen at scale um, in other, in other um, communities, among other groups, but it happens in our uh, group for some reason. Um, so I, I think this perspective is, is, is wildly misguided, particularly because particularly in light of, again, going back to Carter G. Woodson, going back to Carter G. Woodson's um, experience of having been told by a Harvard historian that, as, as Darren pointed out earlier, that African-Americans have no history to speak of. So 
to do what T-Pain is recommending, to do what Kanye West is recommending, would be to spit in Carter G. Woodson's face. Absolutely. It would be, it would be a direct affront to Carter G. Woodson's legacy. Absolutely. And the, and, and, and the question would be, why are we doing this? Mm. Because T-Pain mm. says that we should do it? Because Kanye West said, Kanye West is suggesting that, that February 1st should be um, Black Future Month? <laughs> well, how are we to even imagine a Black future if, as Mali Domasto may suggest, our, our relationship with our past, our Black past, is fundamentally dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Right. And so th- this, this for me is, is, is the problem, um, is, is the severe problem mm-hmm. with what T-Pain is saying and with what Kanye West is saying and also Austin Chang um, mm-hmm. in Michigan. <laughs> So I would just offer that. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it's interesting, um, uh, Marcus. Sometimes I wish uh, our listeners had the opportunity to watch us, you know, as we're doing these these conversations and these shows um, and, you know, how animated Marcus is in making these strong points. And then watching our guest here, Jonathan. Jonathan is very animated, so we've got, I've got to turn this over to you, brother. I think you have a response to this as well. <laughs> oh, right? you know, I'm I'm about to jump out of the seat. I'm sitting there thinking, Marcus, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I have to I have to say now I, I'm I'm talking to Dr. Harvey and Dr. Waters, and I don't know about a Dr. Payne or <laughs> that you know uh anyway um let first first off let me say this i understand what it is that t-pain and the like kanye and the rest of them are, are think that they're doing i know what they think they're doing and this speaks highly to why we need black history month <laughs> because if you don't know you'll never know that's how i feel about it if you don't know you'll never know so first of all i think in his statement he says why? First of all, it's the shortest month. And so that right there tells me that someone like T-Pain doesn't even know why February was chosen as Black History Month. But if he actually took time to learn history and what Carter G. Woodson was trying to do, mm-hmm. he'd understand, well, it has ties to Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. That's mm-hmm. why it is in February. But again, not being a doctor, he wouldn't know that. Now, my real issue is T-Pain probably has, as well as Kanye West, they have millions of followers, mm-hmm. millions of followers. These followers, and, and today we live in a immediate society where we can go on any particular search engine, Google, for example, and just think we can look something up and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. So if you see T-Pain says, let's end uh, 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 Black History Month, well, his followers are going to say, oh, well, then that's it. Let's end Black History Month. Why? Because it's the shortest month in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the whole daggone year. Why should we even bother about it? That is, that is completely absurd to me. And these followers are listening to people that have absolutely no idea of what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, and that speaks again to segregation and desegregation, correct? So you have a separate history that is for you and it it tells your history. But now if you want, what they're asking us to do is to, let's erase that history and put 
it just as history. Well, then who's going to control the narrative? That's the real issue here. So if you leave it up to me and you say, Jonathan, I want you to control all of history. Well, I'm going to give you history from my perspective. Okay. I did not grow up in certain households. So if I didn't grow up in that household, I'm going to say, well, this is the perspective of history I have. This is the image I want you to see. I had a, uh, an English teacher once that told me something very interesting. She said, Jonathan, and this was, she was a Caucasian lady. She said to me, she said, um, Jonathan, do you realize that if you don't understand your history, it'll be that easy. It'll be that easier to change it. And I was a little kid when she said this. I said, well, what do you mean by that? What's to stop a large mass of people, a large group of people from changing the image of Martin Luther King to be an Italian guy or a Greek guy? Or, or a, a, a Polish guy, who's to, who's, who's to stop it? Who controls the history? So if you don't have Black History Month, if you don't have it, that means you're giving it to someone else to write that narrative. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And, and also, I would just add this. I, I know I, I can tell that Darren's over there chomping at the bit to get those. Let me just, let me just say this quickly. <laughs> let me just say this quickly. And this kind of goes back. I want to go back a little bit, of, of Jonathan, to your point about why you felt the need to remove your, 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 um, your visage from the image of your business. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm reminded of an article. And by the way, I, I highly recommend that our viewers read this article that was published, I believe, in 1993 by Cheryl Hare. She's a legal scholar. But the article is entitled Whiteness as Property. Whiteness as Property. And she, she, make this, she makes this historical, legal and economic argument that, was, that demonstrated how, how and why whiteness itself operated during and after slavery as itself a form of capital, right? The inverse being blackness, blackness was, um, was, not, was not seen as valuable property after this point, right? It, it, was, it, it was in effect, um, as a condition, blackness was a liability, literally a liability, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that kind of insight, that kind of insight is impossible without historical study, right? Her, her, her analysis gives context, Jonathan, to the decision that you made early on in your business career, mm. right? Um, and, and even though you, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Harris or not, but even though you hadn't read Harris, you knew, <laughs> you knew that there was a certain kind of capital that can, a certain kind of value that came along with the white visage right. that the black visage didn't have. Right. right. You knew that at that point in your business career, your black face was a liability. Exactly. <laughs> right. It just was. It, exactly. now, it isn't anymore. But at that point, it was. Exactly. Right? And so I, I share that. I share that as an example of the kind of insight that historical analysis um, can yield, because right. it, it can have it can have very tangible useful applications like the decision you made brother so many years ago when you started your business so anyway darren, darren i know you're over there chomping the yeah brother. it is marcus and as i think about it you know the time and these conversations go so fast and, and there are a couple of things i'll say here about the points that jonathan just made first of all we didn't tell the listeners that he has two daughters and and listening to him talk about you know the need to do some real study we know that there was no googling for the information in his household so i know how <laughs> <laughs> These two daughters were raised. You had to go study. You had to go look, look it up. 
and, and Marcus, I'm, I'm also yes, it and Marcus, I'm also uh, struck by this com- in this conversation that what we've done is we've shown, and you said this early on at the beginning of this show of this conversation, that not all of African-American history is about a history of pain and suffering. It's there. And we need to understand that, that that pain and suffering exists in other communities as well. I think about, you know, our need to know more about women's history and the struggle of women to fully participate in the American promise of freedom and equality in this country. I think about uh, Latinos, are Latinx, as some use that term today, their struggle as well to fully participate in the American promise, Asian Americans, and so forth and so on. And I think we do need to understand that. But what I've deeply appreciated about Jonathan's perspective here is he's offered us up some of these, 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 these stories, I think, that highlight ingenuity, creativity, energy, even in the face of of struggle, even in the face of oppression, there's a lot of creative things that are happening. And I think telling those stories, it becomes necessary to tell those stories because those stories can still inspire a younger generation of people to say, okay, despite what we might be struggling with, there's still room to be creative and innovative in what it is that we can do. And Jonathan, I deeply appreciate you offering us that perspective as we think about Black History Month and what it means, and, and should we continue to study it, brother? So thank you for, for that perspective. Yeah, I, I, and I, oh, yeah, and I would just say quickly, you know, and, and I, think it's, I think part of the importance in partic- particularly younger generations learning of these, these stories and these models of Black ingenuity, Black creativity, is that, and brother, brother I, don't, I don't know what your, your respective experiences of, of reading and learning history have been, but mine has been that, you know, um, learning of the more I learn about black black stories of creativity across the arc of American history, um, I, I find myself more emboldened to be creative in my own way. I, I find myself um, finding more courage, right, uh, mm-hmm. to to pursue the life that I want, and that I think is an important benefit, right, of 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 studying black history as an African descended person, right? You, you, you encounter these, these stories of creativity, productivity against the odds, right? Of, of struggle toward a goal, so on and so forth. So yeah, I would just offer that as we wrap up, brother. Right. Yeah. And, and, if and I Jonathan, would, Aaron, yes. if I would, last thing I'll say is early on in the conversation, I did say that it was, it was that black history that was the catalyst for me to start mm-hmm. my business. Mm-hmm. So without that, I don't really know. And my mother instilled that in me very early on. So it was with that history that made it, it, that emboldened me to come to Durham, North Carolina and start a business with absolutely no business experience at all. So that's yeah. it. Brother, and I really appreciate, Jonathan, that perspective. And, and you know, Marcus, it, it, it occurs to me as we as we have this conversation, you and I always end these shows by saying, you know, we've got to bring uh, the guests back. We've got to have Jonathan back because I'd like to hear his perspective in an, in another show, in another broadcast, uh, his perspective on, you know, having grown up in New York and then living in the South in Durham. 
what what does he see as differences and similarities in those experiences? And and what does that mean in the larger sense for the story of African-American people in this country? Is there a perspective that that he can offer from that. And so, again, we want to thank Jonathan Graves for joining us today. He's joined us on this call and on this show from Chapel Hill. He's down in Chapel Hill. He has been active in his community in Durham. This is, Marcus, I think has been a rich conversation. Absolutely. I'm glad we were able to do this in honor of this uh, this month, Black History Month. You having a son named Carter, who's That's named right. after Carter G. Woodson. Mm-hmm. So we know how important um, his work, his work was to you. Yeah, absolutely. So I, it's, it's been a rich conversation. I appreciate it, brothers. All right. Thank you Thank so you. much, Jonathan. Thank you for Thank joining you. us. And with that, Thank Marcus you, and I will close out this show by reminding you again that the Waters and Harvey Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina, and in partnership with the Institute for the Promotion of Human Understanding. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, the BPR and NPR One mobile apps, and on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. And as you know, you can also follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter or write us at whshow at BPR.org. And Marcus and I will look forward to joining you all in conversation again next time. Take care. Take care.